Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. I never know. You never know what kids are going to say. And um, I actually went in the bathroom and there were two kids in there. And, uh, and as I was walking out, one of them said to the other, look, Pastor Don actually goes to the bathroom. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm not even going to deal with that. I'm going to walk out the door. I'll let their parents explain it. <laughs> you know, as we are in our series on finding God's plan, last week we talked about prayer. Today we're going to talk about how he uses brokenness as part of the process in helping you to find his plan. So we're going to begin with 1 Peter 1, and we're going to look at some verses. I think verse 13, we're going to start there. So let's just read these verses, and and then we're going to walk through in how you find God's plan and how God uses brokenness by design in helping you to get to that place that you're fulfilling his plan for his life. So in 1 Peter, it says, So prepare your minds for action. And exercise self-control. So you, you have a job, you have a responsibility to prepare your mind, which means you're thinking that you learn to think correctly. And the way you learn to think correctly is from Scripture. So you allow the Scripture to adjust, rewire your mind, especially when you've come out of a lifestyle that's contrary to Holy God You've got to rechange, rewire what's going on up here. And, and so he says, prepare your minds. Think differently. Prepare your minds for action and exercise. Self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So in a, little, in a little bit, we're going to talk about those three parts of salvation. This one is talking about the salvation you experience when you actually leave this life and go to heaven. And that you will be saved and you will go and be with Jesus for eternity in heaven. And he says, you, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back. Into your old ways of living. Isn't that always a temptation? I mean, you, you can walk away from the old lifestyle. And you can actually do good for years. And then all of a sudden, you feel a little pull, a little slipping back towards some of those old ways of doing and living and thinking. And he says, so don't slip back into your old ways of living. To satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything. So you didn't know better back then, but now you do know better. And you must be holy in everything that you do, which, man, that sounds like something that is impossible. In fact, he goes on to say, just as God who chose you is holy. So not only do I have to be holy, I got to be like God's kind of holiness. That sounds impossible. Well, let me go ahead and help you with that. For you, it is. 
But God gave you his Holy Spirit. He lives in you. And for him, it is not impossible. And then he says, for the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. That's God talking. If you want to be in my kingdom, my kingdom is holy. My kingdom, there is no sin. In my kingdom, there is no shortfall. In my kingdom, everyone is holy. Now, when I look at that, I go, well, that's impossible for me. Well, correct, it is. But that's why Jesus saved you. So when these individuals today were baptized, they were giving that public confession of what has already happened inside of them. And they are in a process of holiness in an, an adventure towards holiness. So God's ultimate plan for your life is holiness, which is being Christ-like. In fact, this can only happen when you're saved. So when you, so that, and the reason he wants that is so that you can be with him in heaven where everyone is holy. So this life, as we talked about last week, is getting us ready for that life. This short, minuscule life is getting us ready for that infinite, eternal life. But in the meantime, God does have a plan for you here and now. And that's what we're talking about, is how do you figure out that here and now? Um, God uses a process for both. He uses a process for helping you to find out what he wants you to do right now. And he uses a process to get you ready for heaven. And that is a thing called brokenness. God wants to break our self-life. He wants to break us of our independent thinking, our independence. I want my way. And, you know, we've got... Uh, Graduations are going to be coming up later this month and high school students are going to be going off to college and college students will be going off to careers. And uh, they, there's a craving for more and more independence. I want to do what I want to do. Well, God says, I want you to do what I want you to do because I made you and I have a perfect plan for you. And God wants us to be useful to him and fulfill the purpose he has for us. So briefly, God wants to bring, number one, God wants to bring every area of our lives into submission and trust of him. Every area. Secondly, brokenness is God's method for dealing with our self-life. Number three, the essence of brokenness is submission. Submission to a holy, loving God. Number four, brokenness is learning to be clay in the potter's hand. Some of you are trying to be the potter in your life. You're, you're trying to be the art, the artist. And you're trying to shape and mold your own life. But that's not what the scriptures teach. The scripture says you're the clay 
And God's the artist. And he wants to shape and mold you because he's made you. And he has a perfect design just for you. A one of a kind. So, so how does God use brokenness? Well, first of all, he will target the area of your life that needs to be broken. And by God's grace, he only does one area at a time. You know, if God truly revealed to me everything in my life that he needed to work on, I think I would just crawl up in a fetal position and roll up under the bed and never come out. I would be so discouraged. I would go, this is impossible. There is so much for God to work on in my life. How is he ever going to accomplish it? But God graciously targets one area at a time because you can handle that. And then what God does, he targets that area, and then he begins to arrange circumstances in which you, we are to be broken. Say, okay, I I need to really break down of this, this fault that he has, this way he makes decisions or this thing that he does. I've got to break him of that. And and so I'm going to arrange some, some, some circumstances that will get his attention so that we can begin to deal with that. And then even he arranges the circumstances, he chooses the tools that he's going to use in order to break us. And they're always by design and they're always just right. And they're always used the right way. And and this is where the grace comes in. God also controls the pressure in the process of brokenness. And he controls the pressure for the purpose of protecting us. You know, he tells us, I'm not going to put more on you than what you can handle. So I know where to break. I know the circumstances to use. I know the right tools to use. And and I know just the right amount of pressure. I know how to break you without destroying you. And there is a difference. You see, a lot of times when people talk about their brokenness, they they usually focus on their wounds that they have suffered and the evil that has happened to them. But God doesn't want you to focus on the pain you've suffered. He wants you to focus on the character flaw he's revealed to you that he wants to remove. Uh, see, if you're a believer, you've already gone through brokenness. All of us have gone through brokenness. And, and, and uh, it's so easy for us to focus on that wound, that pain. And, and we always think about it. We always talk about it. But God says, hey, you're looking at the wrong thing. I want you to look at what caused that pain. <laughs> I want you to look at why I dealt with that area. And, and I want you to focus on what I want you to change in your life. <clears throat> so why, why does God desire your brokenness? Why would he even want that? Well, Psalms 51 is the best chapter in the Bible to explain that. David had messed up big time, King David. He ha- I mean, he kind of represents a lot of people in terms of, 
You can have everything going for you and you could have obtained everything you've ever wanted and you can be sitting high in life. And that's when you're a setup. And that's what happened to David. He got a little too big for his britches. And he kind of thought, I can do whatever I want to. I'm the king. I have God's favor, so I can just do whatever I want. And boy, was he mistaken. And God brought brokenness in his life. So let's just read a little bit of the reaction and the consequences of David having an affair and arranging the murder of the woman's husband that he had the affair with. David says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Notice he didn't talk about himself. He said, have mercy on me because I deserve it. I'm your king that you've appointed. No, no, he said, because of who you are. That's how you approach God. God, forgive me because of who you are. God, help me because of who you are. Because I don't deserve it. I messed up. I don't deserve your love. But have mercy on me because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. And he did that through Jesus. Wash me clean from my guilt. And he loves to do that. Purify me from my sin. For I have recognized my rebellion. That's the result of brokenness. God broke him so that David would recognize that he was rebellious to him. It haunts me day and night. I just don't sleep. He would even go on to say, my my bones ache. I physically am in pain because of this. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. I messed up. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. I mean, you could destroy me, you could kill me, and it would be just. I was was born a sinner. From the moment of my mother's conceived me, but but your desire is honesty from the womb. Teach me wisdom even there. And then he says, purify me from my sins. I, I can't do that for myself. Purify me from my sins. And as a result, I will be clean. Wash me. If you do the washing, I will be whiter than snow. That's David recognizing that God could do for him what he could not do for himself. Give me back my joy again. David had no joy whatsoever. None whatsoever. You have broken me. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. You got my attention. You showed me for who I really am. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. 
Create in me a, a clean heart, O God. And, and renew a loyal spirit within me. I, I once was loyal to you and I did everything you told me to do. And, and then I just got a little too big for my britches and it was all about me. And I only wanted what I wanted. And, and now I want to be loyal again. So restore that. Do not banish me from your presence, even though you'd be right in doing so. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me, even though I've given him an unclean place to reside. You see, you, when you became a believer, you became the Holy of Holies. You were where God's going to reside. And what kind of place have you given God to reside in? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I always thought it was strange he didn't say my salvation. Your salvation is really God's salvation that he gave to you. He provided the means for it. And so David was saying it's your salvation. Yours is the only one that matters. Yours is the only one that works. Yours is the only one that I desire. And so restore to me your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Then, as a result, I'll teach your ways to, re to rebels. And they will return to you. I, I want to begin to influence people around me like I used to be able to influence them. I want to get my act together so I can influence my friends and people around me. I want, I want to get restored so that my testimony is worth listening to. Forgive me for shedding blood because, you know, that's something David did. Oh, God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Notice that, you know, he, he said, I'm not going to sing about me and hey, look at me. He's going to sing about God. Hey, look at what God's done for me. Unseal my lips. This is important. Unseal my lips, O oh Lord, that my mouth may praise you. I, I, I just cannot help but believe that there's some of you here today. You're not able to really worship. Even though you're a believer, and for some reason, when the worship songs happen, nothing comes out of you. you it's just like your mouth just remains closed. Your, your lips are sealed because you don't think you're worthy to be worshiping God. <clears throat> Whatever that is, it, you, you don't feel like uh, God doesn't want to hear my praise. I've messed up too much. Man, when you know God's forgiveness, <clears throat> when you know God's forgiveness, he wants to unseal your lips so that you can praise him like never before. In fact, David said, you don't desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one. That'd be easy to do. You do not want a burnt offering. And here it is again. The sacrifice you desire <clears throat> is a broken spirit. A broken spirit. <clears throat> you will not rejoice, reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. 
What God wants from you is a broken heart. That's what he wants. You know, I mentioned about the different parts of salvation. <clears throat> there are really kind of three types of salvation. Or it's one salvation that comes in three different ways. You had your first part, like we've seen with those that were baptized today. <clears throat> when you were saved, that's the moment you pray to receive Christ. You were saved. And that was your justification part. You were justified before God because of Jesus' blood. And then the process you're in right now is you are being saved. That's, we call that sanctification. Uh, you are maturing. It's the holiness process. This is when we truly learn about lordship. This is the part that gets us ready for heaven. So you are in the process of being saved. And then what was mentioned in 1 Peter is the third part. You will be saved. That's when you're glorified. That's when you're given that new body that will never know sin again. And you will be taken from this life. You remember last week that piece of rope? This little short part of here on earth. You were saved. And now you are being saved. And then the day's coming when the end of this life happens. And then you are going to be saved. Taken to his kingdom. That's what First Peter was talking about. When his glory comes back, when he returns, <clears throat> that's when that happens. But in the meantime, God is using brokenness to help you in your being saved part. So that when you are completely saved, you're holy and righteous before him. And you are holy like God is holy. You know, some of you used to experience God's blessings. It just seemed like you, he was always pouring his blessings on you. And then you picked up an umbrella called sin and you popped it open. And you walk around with that umbrella and God's blessings they don't come to you at all. They just go around you. Because you're allowing sin to prevent you from experiencing God's blessing. And what God wants to do, he wants to break that umbrella in half. And throw it away. Now, I want you, you know, you have to take sin seriously because God takes sin seriously. You have to take it seriously because God takes it so seriously. And he takes it so serious that he was willing to sacrifice his son for your sins so that you can be holy like he is holy. And if God takes sin serious, so should you. But the thing about sin, it's, it's going to pursue you. It, it will pursue you. It will disappoint you. In Hebrews eleven twenty five, he says, he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. <clears throat> sin is pleasurable or it wouldn't be a problem, right? It's enjoyable or we wouldn't have an issue with it. But the Bible says in Hebrews that it's fleeting. 
the enjoyment never, never lasts. It's kind of like somebody who dabbles in drugs and they have that initial high and it's so overwhelming that they want it again, but they discover the next time they take the exact same amount, it's not enough. They don't experience that first high that they had so they take a little more. And then they start chasing that high. And they do more and more and then change the drug and more and more. Well, that's the way sin is. You name it. It feels great. It made you feel good. And then the next time... Not so much. So you have to expand it. You have to try more. You have to try different things. And it just keeps growing and keeps growing and until it destroys you. Sin's always going to disappoint you. <clears throat> Sin will, um, it'll always trip you up. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially Get this one, the sin that so easily trips you up. Every one of us has one of those. You, you have that sin that always trips you up or can quickly trip you up. Now, what trips you up might not trip me up, but I've got my own. And, and you know what's easy for us to do? It's easy for us to judge someone else's problems, when, especially when we don't have that problem. And it's easy for us to say, why can't they just say no to that? Well, turn the tables. Why can't you say no to what trips you up? You see, we're really in the same boat. We may deal with different sins, but we all deal with sins. It will trip you up every time. And, and so the Bible says, you know, remove that sin that so easily trips you up so that you can run with endurance the race that God has set before you. Now, sin, it will enslave you, even as a believer. Romans 6, 16 don't you realize that you became the slave? You become the slave to whatever you choose to obey. Haven't you figured that one out yet? You can be a slave to sin, which guess what? Is always going to destroy you. It leads to death. It, it will destroy your life. It, it may lead to the death of your marriage. It may lead to the death of your job. It may lead to the death of your friendships. It may lead to the death of your influence. It always leads to death. Or you can choose. That's a choice. You get to make it. You can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So it's always a choice. And you get to make it. Another thing about sin is it will expose you. Numbers 2032. I know I'm going to an Old Testament verse here, but it's still true for today. But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord. So he's talking about a particular situation with somebody. But basically the principle is still the same. 
And he says, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. That's just a principle. Even the sins you do in darkness and, and alone, it'll, it'll reveal itself. When you flirt with sin, my goodness, it'll snatch you up. When you dabble in sin, it, it'll put a leg chain around your leg and hold you longer than you really want to. And I want to tell you something else about sin. It always costs you more than you think it's going to. But as a believer, you have a choice. You have a choice. <clears throat> Brokenness, God uses it to move you towards holiness. If you refuse the brokenness, there are steps that you begin to follow. I want you to follow with me on this because this is, applies to individuals, but this also applies to communities. And the verses that I'm gonna read now apply to you as an individual, but it also applies to us as a nation. In fact, this will explain a lot about what we are living with today. There are these four easy steps away from God. One is unrestrained. I want it even if it's wrong. You've been tempted with that. And you, as a believer, you know it's wrong. And uh, I mean, the reason you know it's wrong is because the Holy Spirit's in you. The Holy Spirit will always tell you, say, you know, and we can call it a conscious, but it's not. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that prompts you and, and says to you and, and checks your spirit and say, hey, dude, this is not a, a the Holy Spirit. I didn't know he called you, dude. But anyway, um, he's saying to you, this is not a good path. This isn't going to end well. This is not a good decision. This is sin. Every one of you have heard that. And I want to tell you, listen to this. If you've never, ever have heard the Holy Spirit prompt you about that, then you have to really question about question your relationship with the Lord. Do you even have one? If you've never heard the Holy Spirit prompt you about a decision you were thinking about making, you may have deeper issues. But that's another sermon. So we have this unrestrained attitude. I want what it won't, even though it's wrong. Romans 1. So God abandoned them, or God will abandon you to do whatever shameful things your heart desires. As a result, you will do vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And we begin to see this in our own country. We trade truth about God for a lie. We worship and serve the things of, that God created instead of the creator himself. 
who is worthy of eternal praise. Only God is worthy of praise. And, and then when we go another step away from God, that unrestrained, I want what I want, even if it's wrong, to perversion. I want it even if it hurts me. I want it even if it damages me or destroys me. Romans 1 again. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with men, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within them themselves the penalty they deserved. This is God speaking. This is God's holy word. I know it's not popular today. I know this would be considered uh, hate speech. But your problem's with God, not with me. Third is, it goes from perversion to pandemonium. That's when there's turmoil and lawlessness and chaos. And that's when you say, I want it even if it hurts me, but I want it even if it hurts others. I want it so bad, I don't care if it's wrong. I don't care if it hurts me. I don't care if it hurts somebody else. The Bible says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. Isn't that where we are as a country? It's foolish. It's considered foolishness to even acknowledge God. Don't bring him up. God abandoned them to their foolish thinking. So, so what we're seeing is it's, it's a judgment. It's a consequence. You choose and then God abandons you to it. God abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed. Man, the greed in our country, hate, envy. You know, Everybody hates the rich. Murder. Our murder rate's going through the roof. Quarreling. Deception. I mean, goodness. Every time you see a news conference, you said, man, that's just deception. Malicious behavior. And I mean, God even puts in this category of all these horrendous things. Gossip. We see that. We're, 
We tear down somebody with gossip or half-truths or just blatant lies in order to destroy their influence. They are backstabbers, haters of God. Insolent, proud, boastful. Oh, listen to this. They invent new ways of sinning. And they disobey their parents. You need to think, what are you talking about? Why is that there? I, I see this here because it's beginning younger and younger and younger. Even our young elementary kids in some situations are being taught to accept what God calls evil. Even encouraging them towards it. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. You want to understand what's happening in the United States today? Here it is. God is using brokenness not only in you as an individual, but he's using, using it in our country. And he's using brokenness in our country in order to draw us back to him. You know, when Paul wrote these words, if a Roman had a slave and the slave made him mad, he had the authority just to kill him, kill his slave. He was allowed to do it. In the Roman Empire, babies were so unvalued that if a child, a baby was not wanted, they would literally just put it out in the street for anybody to pick up. And usually they were picked up and raised up for sex trade trafficking. They would sometimes take those babies and just throw them out in the trash pile. We throw out unwanted babies today, don't we? It happens every day. The last one, the elevation of sin. This is the last step. And that's when we promote it. We ele elevate sin to promote it. I want what I want, even if it's wrong, even if it hurts me, even if it hurts others. I want everyone to accept what I want as normal. And I want you to celebrate it. And if you don't celebrate it, then you're a racist. You're a hate person. Romans 1, 32. They know God's justice requires that those who do such things deserve to die. And yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. That's where we are. That's where we are.
So the question is, how can I live a Christian life in such an ungodly world? I'm told not to imitate the world, but I'm told not to isolate myself from the world either. But there's a thing called insulation. Mary and I went deep sea fishing with some friends in the church and we caught some tuna. And that night the tuna was prepared and we ate it. Now that tuna lived in the ocean, salty, and had lived in the ocean its entire life. And yet when we got that meat, not salty at all. In fact, we added salt to it. How is that possible? You live your entire life in a salty ocean, and yet the meat's not salty. It's called insulation. The skin of the fish kept the saltiness out. You as a believer, you can live in a sinful world and still stay isolated. Uh, uh, insulated from the world. And God uses brokenness to keep you in that place. So what would it look like? What would your life look like if you completely and finally left behind that sin that so easily trips you up? How would your life change? What would your life look like if you gave God total control? You handed the controls over to him. What would your life look like if you yielded yourself without restraint, without restriction to Jesus? What would your life look like if you gave up your agenda for God's. Now let's go to prayer as we prepare for worship.